0: Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Pumphrey, along with my co-host, Dr. Christy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. And Christy, you are super excited about today's show, aren't I you? I am. I am super excited. And hey, we're going to talk about the Olympics, and not just the Olympics, but the Paralympics, right? That's right. And we have guests, an incredible guest today. She has an inspirational story, and I think everyone should listen to this story, because I got to tell you, I was going over her bio, and I'm like, man, man. I feel I'm lacking in a lot of things. <laughs> That's right. Today we have Terry Hayes. She is a Paralympian and she just got home from the Paralympic Games in Tokyo, right? So thank yeah. you so much for joining us, Terry.
1: Thank you for having me. Um, I'm so happy to be here as a Toyota ambassador and to spread the word about para in the Paralympics, something that I'm very passionate about
0: definitely definitely and i wanted to talk about that and hey i did see on your bio that you had military service so i wanted to thank you so much for your service to our country
1: oh you're welcome
0: and i did want to start out with the paralympics now when i was doing the research for the show i thought and i'm sure that a lot of people will that they are the special olympics but i found out those are two different things right
1: yes yes they are um the special olympics are for athletes with intellectual disabilities, and the Paralympics are for athletes with physical disabilities. So that's the main difference between the two.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so we're talking about anybody with a physical disability that they have a
2: special games for them, right? Events. Right. Pa- where the Paralympics being parallel to the Olympics, for the, you guys use the same actual event facilities, right?
1: That- yes, we the olympic village um, when the olympics were over turned into the paralympic village so we stayed in the same housing and went to the same dining hall competed at the same venues some of the sports are different um, because of the type of disabilities like the paralympics has gold ball which is for visually impaired and blind athletes so you don't find gold ball in the olympics oh. and some sports don't trans- well. To the Paralympics, like gymnastics, you'll find in the regular Olympics, but not in the Paralympics. Gotcha. Right.
2: Okay. Now, I have the Olympic channel that I paid extra for during the uh, Olympics, and I do have at least most, I think, of the Paralympics recorded. Uh, I've watched like the rugby, basketball, volleyball, uh, quite a bit of the swimming, and it's uh, inspirational, number one, but we're talking good Athletes. I mean, we're talking top-notch Strong, Olympians. Yes. I mean, I watched some of these guys with no arms in the swimming that did the, did the backstroke with a towel in their teeth to, yeah. to modify yeah. it, and they were fast. It yep. was so impressive.
1: Yeah, that's one um, one thing. Until people watch the Paralympics, if they just hear about it, they think oh, these people are such a wreck. They're not really, you know, it's just some a little something special to go to and have a little fun, but they're not really athletes. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. There's so much training and time and commitment put into it. And then competing, like I was on the World Cup circuit, I competed, I had to go to nine different countries and compete as well as compete in the U.S. and the World Championships and Zonal Championships to earn enough points to get selected Um for a spot to represent the United States. So it's a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, and you really have to be a high caliber athlete in order to be selected to go.
0: Absolutely. And I would argue that it's a little bit harder because if you think about it, somebody that has in arms, legs, everything to their ability, they, I would think that it would be a much more rigorous training for somebody that has to use just their arms or just their legs or something to that effect.
1: Yes, and I've I fenced able-bodied um, people before, like at the club where I train. I'm the only para-athlete, so I train with the men there, and they're all able-bodied. And the first time they fence me, after about 10 minutes, they're like, oh, my God, my arms are freaking killing me, you know? way <laughs> harder than what I thought. How do you stand this? I'm like, repetition, 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 repetition.
2: And so, desire, so- right? They, they don't have to think of it differently or do it differently. And you do. And I, I can't even imagine the athleticism involved in uh in doing that, as you said, you know, repetition, but still there's gotta be a skill level. There has to be. You know, yeah. I mean just repetition only goes so far. If you don't have a natural God given a skill to do it, I would think, you know, you're only gonna be mediocre and by far you don't go to the Paralympics if you're mediocre. No, you don't
1: no, you don't make Exactly it. You, you have to be right up at the top in, in order to go. And it, it, you have to have a huge heap and desire. You have to have um, a lot of fortitude. You have to be prepared to lose, lose, lose on the way going up. Because you don't start out in a sporting and go, gold medal, gold medal. Yee, yee, I'm going to the Paralympics. It starts out, I'm at last place. <laughs> I didn't get Thanks. any touch on anybody. What in the heck? And you learn from that. You learn, I have to improve in this, 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 and this, and I need to train more. And then things start turning around. You start winning. You start moving up. And so it's a big, long process.
2: An emotionally challenging process, I would think.
1: Oh, my Lord, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I can only imagine. You have to keep telling yourself, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And whatever competitor that you're... Um, locked in your frame against, even if it's a two-time Paralympic gold medalist, you can't get locked in and think, I'm dead meat. She's just going to tear me loose. Mm-hmm. That may be the reality, but you can't let that creep into your head. You have to think, I made it here just like she made it here, and I am a high-level athlete just like she is, and I'm going to tear it up however <laughs> it comes out, and then just go for it.
2: So I was reading that, like your teammate, for example, I believe he's, she was twenty. Is that right? Yes. And it, you and you said that there's no age brackets in this either.
1: No, unfortunately, no. It's like it's like the Olympics were all um, heaped in there together. So if okay. you're twenty or like me, I'm sixty-three. We were on the same team, and I sensed people. More than forty years younger than me, so they don't go. Oh, okay, this is an old one. Let's give her two extra points to start with. <laughs> it doesn't work like that, right?
2: You're well, old, I would think old. that the age gives you a little advantage on wisdom and maybe even uh, emotional stability more than maybe a twenty-year-old. Maybe, but we're talking a the highest level athlete you can get. So I, I would assume she's pretty tough at twenty. Yes
1: she's very tough at 20 yeah the the main difference i see is just you know as your age your your body doesn't do quite what you could do when you're 20 when you're in your 60s and so i have to train more i have to condition more i have to be really careful i don't injure myself because if i do my recovery takes way longer than it used to so i have a different set of Um, issues that I have to deal with that my teammate Shelby doesn't have to deal with because she's 20 and her body's young and youthful and she can bend and twist and do all kind of things my body had never thought about doing. (laughs) So you you have to go with wherever you're at in life and just move forward.
0: Now, I I want our listeners to understand that you are a Paralympian at 63 years old. That is a huge feat. I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine being a good basketball player at 63 years <laughs> old, but an Olympian at 63 years old is amazing.
1: It kind of blew my mind, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, 58 when I started, and my friends are like, why, why in the world are you picking up a new sport at 58 years old, one you have never, ever done in your life? I said, because I want a challenge. I yeah. want a challenge. And I wanted a sport I could do in a wheelchair. And I checked out other sports, and nothing really spoke to me. And I I saw Lauren DeLuca from the U.S. at the Rio Games competing. And I saw that, and I was like, oh, my word, that looks like fun. Just sitting there and stabbing people. (laughs) And, you know, they can't run away from you as a captive audience. And (laughs) it's just – it's a very aggressive sport. And – um. You can just sit there and get it all out, and then when you're done, you pull your mask up and you smile at the person and you hit your blades together instead of shaking hands. And the aggression's all gone. Happy, happy, they're your friends. Because everyone on the World Cup circuit, you know all of them. They all become your friends. It's like a huge family.
2: Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that, but you've probably fenced all these people before.
1: Yes, I have.
2: Yeah, I think that that's interesting. I have to say, nobody has ever said any on our show before, we just sit in a chair and stab people, and it's fabulous. So that's, an, that's awesome.
1: Not that I'm a brutal person. I'm a very small person. I'm only 5'2", 105 pounds. So I'm, I'm a tiny person, and I sense people that are like 160, 170, that have huge, broad shoulders on them. And I, like, have these little teeny shoulders. So if I don't come out like a ball of fire, they're going to tear me up. <laughs> I bet. So I have, to, yeah. I have to be ready to go.
2: What do they do about reach? I mean, because their reach would be a lot further than yours. Is it? it are you strategically placed the same distance apart? Are you positioned apart? Because they'd have to lock your wheelchair down in some way, right?
1: Yes, yes you're um, locked in the wheelchair against your opponent and I'm right-handed. So if I'm fencing a right-handed opponent, they're facing me. So they're like opposite from me. If I'm fencing a left-handed opponent, they're parallel to me, which is extremely difficult to fence a left-handed fencer. Even left-handed fencers don't like fencing other left-handed fencers. They're very difficult to fence. But to make it as even as they can, Mm -hmm. You set distance before each bout. So one person will take their fencing arm and bend it at the elbow with the other part straight up, with your forearm straight up. And the other person takes their weapon and holds their arm straight out. And it comes to either the outside of your elbow or the inside of your elbow. And a referee will judge where that distance is. And they can move the frame either further apart or closer together. Oh, okay. And the person with the shorter arms gets to set the distance so if i set it at my distance where my weapon comes legally as far as it can go i might have an opponent with really long arms whose blade is four inches up my arm before i even start
2: wow so
1: i i have the option to make them move her back the four inches which makes me way far away from her mm-hmm. or I can move her a little way or I can leave it as leave it as it is the person with the shorter arms gets decide distance but it's definitely at a disadvantage if you have short arms and I have <laughs> short arms unfortunately
2: do you do, do you make that decision based on the person or do you always choose the same thing
1: I base it on the person, depending on how they fenced before when I fenced them. Mm -hmm. And I'm always watching the other fencers and see, okay, what's her favorite position? Does she automatically drop back, or does she automatically lunge out? You know, how many Mm -hmm. times does she look forward? Is she back more often than she's out? And I base it on that.
0: Wow. So there's strategy and everything, man. I mean, that is amazing. To think about... You know how you got there? Because were you a were you a trained athlete before you became paralyzed? Um,
1: I did um, varsity lacrosse college, and I did competitive race walking, um, softball. I did a marathon. I just like being outside, running around, doing whatever. I enjoyed being active, very active. And after I became paralyzed, that kind of came to a screeching halt and. And I thought, no, oh, this kind of really stinks. I mean, not only is it hard to get around everywhere now, and there's lots of places I can't go and people I can't visit because I can't get in their house. I can't do anything active anymore. And so I went to a women in wheelchair sports camp, and we did like 12 different sports. And I just loved every minute of it. So when I came home, I thought, well, we did horseback riding, but I don't own a horse, so i got to mark that off the list. And what. <laughs> One was sailing, okay, no sailboat, put an X by that. So when I got done with everything, I was like, okay, I got to go find something else. So that's when I, I Googled wheelchair sports and saw Lauren DeLuca, and I said, that's the sport for me.
0: Wow. So, it, so you were an active person and what we consider an athlete, but not to the level of what you are now. So when you got back... From the camp and you decided that after you saw this you wanted to really get into this so your skill level now is much higher than it was before you got paralyzed right i mean it has to be
1: before i started fencing i i had always been active but not to the this high competitive level and when i first started fencing it was the most awkward thing I'd ever done in my life I picked up a weapon I'm like oh my lord this is weird I mean it just felt weird holding it and the whole thing felt weird and I'm not one to give up at all so I'm like I'm going back next week and I went back and it still felt weird but I kept going back and now when I go to pick up one of my three different types of weapons I fence it's like it's always been in my hand it just Uh feels like a part of my now
2: it's meant to be, huh? Is, are they heavy?
1: Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Um, not like super heavy, like back in the days of the nights with those big long blades, mm-hmm. not like that. But if you have to, if you fence for a while, like in a de, so it's just direct elimination bout that goes to fifteen, your arm does get tired.
2: Oh, I imagine. Yeah.
0: Wow. And then it says here that you were a para-fencing classification B fencer. Now, what does the B stand
1: for? Um, They have three categories. All Paralympic sports are divided into disability categories to make it a level playing field. Like with the swimmers, they wouldn't have a blind swimmer competing against a paralyzed swimmer. The blind swimmers compete against other blind swimmers. Mm -hmm. Um, In fencing... Um, they have three categories, A, B, and C. And A, fencers usually can stand up and walk. And their disability could be um, post-stroke, which is Shelby, my teammate, which affected the left-hand side of her body and her left leg. So Shelby could not be a stand-up fencer because she can't stand up and move forward and backward on this strip that's not possible for her but she has trunk control she has excellent trunk control so she's an a category fencer i'm a b category fencer which means um i have no trunk control so because i'm paralyzed mid chest down so i have no use of my legs or my trunk For me to fence, it's all in my left hand, which is placed on the bar that runs along the left-hand side of my wheelchair, and that's how I shoot out to lunge, and that's how I pull back to retreat. It's my left arm. It's not my core doing that, and um, sometimes when I'm really aggressive fencing and I lunge out too far, I fall over the edge of my wheelchair because that left arm can't hold my whole body out, and they'll just stop. And somebody will come and just pick me up and shove me back in my chair then we start we start up again and go so um, I'm a B category C category sensors are usually quadriplegics and their fencing glove is velcroed onto their hand and they have limited arm control control, um, and the A's, B's, and C's compete on the World Cup circuit, but the C's do not compete at the Paralympics because there's not enough C fencers.
2: Wow. Huh.
0: It's amazing that they have all those categories, yet age is not yeah. one of them. <laughs>
2: right. Well, you know, I was <laughs> watching rugby, and boy, they hit each other so hard. They flip their chair over, and they land upside down, and they have to come flip yeah. them back over, and murder ball ball. (laughs) yeah man did you get to go see a lot of other events
1: i could see no other sports but due to covid the only thing i could watch was uh fencing and i was competing every day but one when i didn't do a women's individual foil but my teammate ellen Geddes did so shelby and i got to go back to the same venue we'd been going to every day, and we got to be up in the stands and watch Helen Fence, and that's the only sport I saw. We weren't allowed to oh, go to see any of
2: That's too bad. And your wife didn't get to go, correct?
1: No. No No friends, no family, but Toyota had a wonderful program for the Paralympians' friends and families, and I got to invite two people, so Frida, my wife, and my sister went, and their whole trip was paid for by Toyota. They flew them from their home to Colorado Springs, and they were in a beautiful hotel. They got to go tour. They got a VIP tour of the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center, wow. which Frida certainly talked ad nauseum about because I've been there so many times. <laughs> so she finally got it. And then they let them compete in wheelchair basketball, um, gold ball, and what was the other sport? Um wheelchair, basketball, goalball. There was another one now. I can't remember. And then they took them up to Pikes Peak. They had cookouts for them. They had dinners. They got T-shirts, sweatshirts. They had huge party. They had specialty drinks every night. They got pins. It was just a wonderful thing for them to do because the families could not go. So I was so happy they offered that to them.
2: And did they, um, like they did for the Olympics at Universal and Disney, did they get to watch you while you were there? I I mean-
1: she knew I was there, but I had to text her and tell her what was going on because, unfortunately, okay. um, NBC owned all video rights to para-fencing, mm-hmm. and none were shown on TV, none were shown on the Internet. It won't be on YouTube. Nothing at all was filmed in that venue, and so that's, yeah. That's
2: terrible. They, they You know, that they, if they were going to do that for the other, they should have done that for your family, too, that they at least piped it in so that you they could watch you.
1: Right. And usually the coaches um, record the bouts, so you can use them as a training tool and slow them down later, which I've done with lots of bouts at World Cups, and the coaches were not allowed to to record, and no one was allowed to record anything.
2: Really? Wow. Oh, good. And that's all based on NBC's restrictions?
1: Yes. Yes, because they own soul games. Everybody needs to uh,
2: make a call to NBC um, over (laughs) that, because that's wrong. (laughs) <laughs> that I would have been upset but, but at least they got a good experience out of it If they even if they didn't get to necessarily watch you
1: yes well they were there with all the other Paralympian families and people that had you know kids that were swimming or that were mm-hmm. playing wheelchair basketball or whatever and they got to cheer on their kids you know and their wives and sons and daughters Okay. and so it was very much a party atmosphere and, and she just had a blast they loved it and then at the time that we were competing they had a laptop set up and we were texting in like when ellen was fencing i wasn't up on the strip so i could text in and say ellen ellen got a touch ellen got a touch rodolfo got a touch ellen got a touch oh ellen got two touches boom boom you know and so they were keeping up by us texting back and forth now when we were all three competing there was no texting, texting going on, so they had to wait till later,
2: and then we would text and tell them how we did. Well, you know that I have watched, you know, of course, like everybody else, Olympics all my life, and maybe I just never paid attention, but I think this Olympics they had more advertisements for, and the opening ceremonies had more inclusion for the Paralympics than I have ever seen. I thought, yeah. I thought yeah. that was really that was really impressive, and I think is it correct that this year is the first time that a Paralympic got the same payment for their um, medal as it, yeah. the, as the Olympics as it should be.
1: Yes, yes, yeah. that was my one little shot to get on TV, and I missed it because oh. as we were coming through the tunnel to go out on there, out into the um, stadium. We were supposed to stay in like rows of six Mm -hmm. and all the wheelchairs were supposed to go behind the rugby wheelchair rugby team. And that's how we were lined up Mm -hmm. until we were popping out the tunnel. And then it just was like, you know, a rush from the back of stand up athletes. And I got just lost in it. And I was over to the right hand side, which nobody on the right hand side got on TV. It's only a few Mm -hmm. on the left hand side. And I was right next to Shelby when we went in there, and she ended up on TV. But myself and Ellen never got on TV because oh, we just bad. we got engulfed in all the other athletes.
2: So let's talk about that because that's something I, I just think would be overwhelming. That you know, the opening ceremonies. It, mine didn't record, but I do have the closing ceremonies. Uh, I haven't watched all of it yet, but how was that? How was that moment? I mean, well, even to the point where that you got your clothes. I mean, because I think that would be just like uh, really, yeah, just I mean, really amazing. I mean, I, I, and uh, you know, how was is, how is that when you realize either however they gave it to you a letter or a voicemail, and then you get the USA and you you know you have your your jacket. How, explain that feeling if you can, what that's like.
1: Well, when we got to the. Village on um, the first three days, we stayed right in the village area because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So we rolled around a lot and just got our room squared away. And we had two huge rolling duffel bags one full with Ralph Lauren clothing and one full with Nike Garros, it 81 items of clothing, oh six God. pairs of shoes, four pairs of sunglasses, five hats, a watch. A phone. It just was unbelievable the amount of gear that we got. And wow. then on the third day, um, we had to go get fitted for our, our opening, closing media outfit and what was the other one? I can't remember what the other one was now, but it was four different outfits. So we went down to where they told us and they always bring their own team of tailors with them that work off-site at a hotel. So they call your name and you go in first I went in and I met with a woman that was tailoring my outfit for um, media wear and so she measured me nine ways to Sunday and she (laughs) asked me did I have anything in particular you know that I wanted and I said I like to wear my pants bigger than normal because i want to be able to get them on and off to go to the bathroom by myself so don't make them like they would regularly fit me because i never wear clothes like that because it's just too much of a struggle so nice she's it. like okay i've heard that story before so that was good <laughs> and then i went back out in the hallway and I waited and a gentleman a british man called me in, and he measured me for all my ralph lerman clothing for opening and closing I had requested a size six because I thought that's what I would wear in a jacket. Cause I never wear jackets in a wheelchair. You just don't wear them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he put it on me and I was swimming and he just kind of wagged his finger and he went, no, 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 no. <laughs> so he, he, he got a four and he put it on. He goes, no, no, let me see. I got to find a two in here. Well, he found one. He goes, last one, honey, last one. <laughs> so I tried to cut the links way off of it. So the, jacket sides wouldn't lay over my wheels and the front wouldn't just all puddle up in my lap. Hmm, cool. So they totally tailor it to fit you perfect. Oh
2: my, that's awesome. Um,
1: and then he, I tried on my closing ceremony outfit and he pinned all of that up. And then I think it was the next day or day after uh, they came to our room and they had a beautiful garment bag with one for each outfit, like the closing, I mean the podium outfit came and that was the other one that got measured the podium it was in this beautiful white garment bag with a congratulations card on the front and then the outfit was inside along with a piece of paper that told you exactly how to wear it mm-hmm. and then we got a piece of paper with each one of those outfits that said exactly how you wear it because there's a certain way they want you to look when when you go in the stadium
2: mm-hmm. i can see that did you
1: get to keep so, all of it yes Man, yes,
2: that's extra luggage on the new way home. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I awesome. I'll tell you, when I'm down, when I'm down in January, I want, I want to see it.
1: <laughs> it. It's a bolt load, let me tell you. <laughs>
2: that's awesome.
1: <laughs> so when, and I love every piece
2: of it. Oh, I can
0: imagine. I mean, because it really is a whole part of you. You know, I mean, it, whether you you wear them ever again, it's still a part of history. It was still something that you did. I I can see where you would treasure those things forever, no matter if you ever wore them again.
1: Oh, I wear them every day.
2: Well, there <laughs> I you go. Too. I'm, I'm probably sleeping <laughs> in my outfit. That's awesome. <laughs>
1: every day, I'm proud I earned them. I'm gonna wear them till you can't wear them anymore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, until you get another one. Yeah,
0: do you get another one? Yeah, That's
2: right. So was it overwhelming <laughs> when you when you when you rolled in there and and. And you're in the stadium, and that was a pretty impressive stadium mm-hmm. um, with everything going on and the did you have a sense of, of awe about it a surreal moment oh. of I am one of the best in the world?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. As we were coming out of the tunnel, which was dark, um, everybody started chanting USA, 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 so we're like we were getting worked up into a frenzy. So once <laughs> we popped out into the light of this stadium, I had tears rolling down my face. I was so overwhelmed because we hadn't competed yet. So it was like, I really am almost a Paralympian because you don't get that title until you actually compete. Oh. I was a Paralympic team member still. Uh-huh. So as I came out of that tunnel, tears streaming down my face, I was like, I did it. I did it. Actually, I said, we did it. We did it because I could never have done it without Frida. There is no way that I could have ever done it. So I was like, we did it, we did it, we did it. We rolled around and all the volunteers were there waving and clapping for us and tears were just pouring down my face. And I thought if I do get on TV, I'm gonna look like I'm so upset. It's not gonna look. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, oh I, I, yeah, I can't even imagine that feeling of of just rolling out. And do they light the torch again? For yes, yes,
1: Okay. They, they do. They like the cauldron. And so they d- directed us around where we were going to be. And there were slots, you know, for wheelchairs and then chairs for the standing athletes that could sit down mm-hmm. all on the stadium floor. And then the show started. And Shelby and I took a couple pictures together and we took pictures with Alan. <laughs> and the whole time I thought, I'm going to have a heart attack because my heart was beating so fast. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to pass out right here in the stadium. Wow. Um And it was It was very hot, and the jacket is wool. So I was like, I don't know how long I can leave this jacket on. I'm going to have to take it off because we had a nice uh, striped shirt underneath. Mm -hmm. So after about 30 minutes, I saw everyone taking their jackets off. So I'm like, okay, I just have to take the jacket off. (laughs) So I did. Before we rolled out, I put it back on. (laughs) The whole experience of the opening was just incredible, amazing, overwhelming. I don't think I'll ever forget a minute of it.
2: No, oh, I hope not, because very few people ever get to say "I am one of the best of the best
0: absolutely
2: ever you know I mean you you just and and to have that as an athlete, I mean it's one thing to have it in other things, but as an athlete where it's all about competing and winning and um you know I, I know it's a lot more than that, but
0: to consider the to best. best
2: is uh, man, I can't. I, I'm envious of what that that moment feels like because that's huge. And, and, and you certainly worked for it. And you mentioned, um, you're talking about Frida never being able to do it without her. Why don't you talk about that a little bit, of that it is a joint effort. I mean, it, just travel in a wheelchair. Right. It has an unbelievable amount of challenges associated with it that, you know, yeah. that I wouldn't have. Yes, and
1: just... Um, I can't drive anymore, so Frida would take me to all my lessons, just like half an hour away. And the club that I trained at did not have a regular fencing frame. My coach, Charlie Johnson from Southwest Florida Fencing Academy, is a wonderful, wonderful, he's just a wonderful, warm human. He's an excellent coach. And I called and asked, you know, I said, I'd like to take fencing lessons. And he says, well, come tomorrow night and we'll start. I said, okay. And then I said, I have to tell you something. I'm in a wheelchair. And he said, well, I have to tell you something. I never taught anyone in a wheelchair. And um, I said, well, I've never fenced in a wheelchair. And he said, well, I think this is going to work out perfect. And it has. That's awesome. Um, he, he just took two big eye bolts and screwed them in the floor. And we got four truck straps, like on the back of a four-wheeler, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: and hooked, hooked my wheelchair down. And I'm still using that today.
0: Wow. wow. That's awesome. That's ingenuity there.
2: Do coaches get anything? I know I didn't realize that coaches don't get medals, but do coaches get anything when it comes to the Olympics? Did, did he get to – he didn't get to go with you, did he? Because didn't you have no. Olympic coaches –
1: yeah, my national coach, Mickey zelkovich he okay. was the one that went for all three of us on the team. And um, private coaches couldn't go. Okay. Um,
2: I hope you gave him so, a hat out of those bags.
1: <laughs> well, he um, I made him a really nice uh, frame. Matter of fact, I was with him, with him and his wife yesterday. They invited us over for lunch. They're just such wonderful people. Oh. And I had some things from Tokyo I gave him. And I gave him a framed picture that... Two pictures were in the frame, one of um, myself and Charlie because he was my foil and epic coach, and one of myself and Dr. Brent Myers because he's my Sabre coach. And it says Paralympian coaches for Terry Hayes for him to put up in the club so everybody will know oh. these are the guys that got me there.
2: That is amazing because, man, what a feat for them. You know? Yes. Again, well, you talk about funny. a God thing of put, putting people together to, to fulfill— a higher good is that's just an amazing that's amazing
1: yeah and so Frida would take me to all my lessons and she would strap me down unstrap me <laughs> um, you have to wear a lot of clothes and there's wires that go underneath your clothes and so Frida would help me get all wired up get dressed up you know make sure I had my water bottle and take my glasses off here you go put that away put my, my other clothes away and we would fence. And she got where she would call the bouts. Then when we would travel to the national competitions, she would always go with me and help me every step of the way. And then when we were on the World Cup circuit and went to world championships and zonals, she went with me every time. And traveling with two wheelchairs, a massive gear bag, two large suitcases and a smaller suitcase just to carry all my stuff, plus me and my everyday chair, is a huge challenge and Frida just managed all of it through every airport we ever went through and we've been through a lot of airports Wow! and I could never have done it by myself there's just no way
0: well we really She's do have those unsung heroes crazy. in our life yeah
1: yes, that's, yeah. yeah she yeah. was always cheering on and you know you could, that was a good bout you did good and even you know when I would have five zero bout and I got slaughtered <laughs> she'd say that's okay you're gonna do better next time, you know, it's okay, you know, you're gonna do better the next bout and just always cheering me on and encouraging me and um, just telling me, go get it. And the community that I live in here in Florida, Carefree, they have been so, so supportive. So many of them bought t-shirts, you could buy t-shirts this year for the first time that had your athlete's last name and it said para fencing US Paralympics and Boatloads of them bought the shirts. And then unbeknownst to me, they went up the street one day and the maintenance man got a big tall ladder and he was up there and videotaped it. And they did all these cheers and songs and chants for me before I left wow. to go to Tokyo. And That's then the awesome. night before I left, I was on quarantine for two weeks. Um, so I didn't get to say goodbye to anybody. So the mm-hmm. night before I left, I'm watching TV, kind of hanging out. And Frida goes, I think you need to come over here and see something. I said, what? I'm watching TV. (laughs) She says, no, there's something over here you need to see. So I popped out of my recliner, got in the wheelchair, spun around. And then I just saw these people in the street. I'm like, what's going on? Well, it was also my birthday. So I rolled out on the ramp. I had my mask on. And they all sang happy birthday to me. And then they all were cheering and hollering. They had signs. They all had their hay shirts on and i was just bawling i'm like you guys don't know how this means to me that this whole community is so happy for me and so excited for me so when i went to tokyo i had they all took pictures of themselves in their shirts and they posted them on our facebook page and i snagged every one of them i printed them all out so when i went one whole wall in my room was pictures of carefree women in their T-shirts, and I saw them every morning on the wall, and I would just look at them and say, "Okay, carefree here we go. We're going. We're going after it today." And I that brought me a lot of comfort to know they were all there with me.
2: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I think Absolutely. that that kind of support. I, I just don't think you can. Yeah, I don't think you can get there without that.
0: I don't think so either, because yes, you put in the hard work, the training, and the effort, but when you needed it, they put in the training, the hard work and the effort to get you through those tough times. And yeah, and it really does take a community. I mean, at least that's what I'm gathering from you that, like you said, you couldn't have done this alone. You weren't an island. And when you were down or you were unsure of yourself, your community was there, your wife was there and to, to cheer you on. And that was, Their contribution to you becoming a Paralympian.
1: Yes, and when I was injured, which happened several times, and I had I had major surgery right in the home stretch, and they were all you know cheering me on. You know, you can do it. You know, you're doing good in PT. Just keep at it. You know, you're. You know, they would send me little cards and notes and Facebook posts and just um, incredible support from just from everybody and then when I came back I haven't seen them all because a lot of people here go away for the summer so um but the ones that have been here we I go out with freedom we walk our dogs around and they're like hey champ how's it to be home and <laughs> you know hey there's a Paralympian and um it just puts a lump in my throat every time they say something like that to me I'm just feel so proud um and and honored that they feel that way
0: Absolutely. I mean, you you think about this. You are one of a, in a million of people that want to be a Paralympian and never got the chance. And here you right. are, I mean, basically like the astronaut, right? <laughs> you, you made it. You got there. Yes.
1: Yeah. And I after I competed the first time and I came out of the rack and I went back in the holding area, I was... I was thinking I now I am a Paralympian because I have competed at the games. And then our team manager who was unable to make the games at the last minute is just Jenny Boydston, just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person who's just been had my back from day one, so encouraging and supportive and you can do it, Terry, you can do it. Just keep plugging away, you'll get there. She called me and she said, I have to be the first uh, person to call you and say, Terry Hayes, you are a Paralympian That's Yeah. Amazing. Now, thinking about it because it really, it really just struck me. Like I did it. I actually did it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It still amazes me when I, when I look at the pictures, I'm like, Oh my God, that actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually did that.
0: And do you think of yourself as an inspiration?
1: Um, I just think think of myself as a person that doesn't give up. And, um, you know, people are like, what what do you want to be remembered as? I want to be remembered as a kind and happy person. And that's my big goal in life. I like to make people smile. I like to make people laugh. I like to lift people's spirits. And if I can do that, I consider myself a success. And everything else is kind of gravy. I just see myself as a regular person that, had a wonderful opportunity, and I jumped on it, and and I did it. But I'm just a regular person, just like everyone else. I, I love being with my family. I love being with my friends and um, laughing and having a good time and cutting up. And I love traveling. I do glass mosaics artwork on the side. I love doing that. I love walking the dogs. I'm just a regular person, and um, I just enjoy life.
2: Now our show, we talk a lot about that. To get to extraordinary, it really takes a lot of ordinary yeah you know and a lot of ordinary yeah. people together can accomplish extraordinary by using their strengths and the things that they their, the things that they can actually you know bring each other up in your what we talk about all the time our six people and who you surround yourself with and that those six people really matter mm-hmm. uh, into making oh. you extraordinary.
1: Yeah, it's not a solo event. Anybody that makes it to the Olympics or Paralympics, if they're honest a hey, I never could have done this without, and then they'll list off a bunch of people. And then they'll usually say, and way more than that, that I can't even think of everybody that helped me get there. Um, so it's definitely a group effort. And you just need, uh, it's a grueling process, uh, earning enough points to go and then waiting, the waiting to find out, did I get it? Did I not get it? Did someone bump me off? You know the mm-hmm. the rankings look good, but I don't know. And having a team behind you that can say, you know, it's going good, it's going good, you know. And then they would start asking every day, did you get the email? Did you get the email? <laughs> Not yet. Did you get the email? Not yet. <laughs>
2: so where do you go so, from here? Do you do you keep going? Do you try you do you try three years from now to to tackle it again?
1: Um, right now, I'm doing pretty much what every an uh, elite athlete does after a grueling long process, mm-hmm. which is nice long break. Um, <laughs> yeah, physically, my body is exhausted. Um, I've been home three, three weeks and um, still t- physically trying to re- recover from it. We had a grueling time leading up to it and then I, I went to Philadelphia for two weeks of camp. We spent six hours a day. I went from there, I came home, I had a few days. I went to Salt Lake City for our national championships. I flew directly from there to Colorado Springs to the Olympic Training Center and trained there. And then I came home and was on quarantine, but I trained here in my house and then left from there, went to Tokyo, trained for a week, competed for a week, and then came home. So my little old body needs a break for a while. (laughs) Imagine Um, so,
2: yeah, I imagine.
1: Yeah. And that's pretty much what everybody does. They take a good at least six months off and just physically and mentally recover from it mm-hmm. and then crank back up again. So that that's my plan right now. I'm, I'm in the, I'm taking a break and um, considering my options, uh, what I wanna do. Um, for para fencing, we don't have any local or regional events. So I always have to fly to compete wherever I'm going there's an event coming up in October which I think I'm not going to go to because I haven't since, since I've been home and I'm not going to go to a competition you know, if I haven't trained so there's another one in January so I've got my eyes on that and we'll see where it goes from there
0: well, and I got to tell you, just simply the, like you talked about, the sheer training part of this, I can imagine you just need to take a break. sit out on the deck and drink some coffee or whatever, <laughs> just to recoup. Yeah. And you think about the whirlwind, right? I mean, it, it, you did a lot of stuff in a very short amount of time. You need time to kind of decompress
2: from all that.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sounds like and, you need
2: yeah. a lot of time to unpack. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that took me a while. Yes, that <laughs> took me a while. The World Cup circuit was two years, nonstop for two years, um, nine countries. And then in between the foreign countries, we would be home competing nationally. And, and then throw in other times I went to Colorado Springs to the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center and other camps I went to. Every month, we were flying somewhere for two straight years. Wow! So just even leading up to it is exhausting. And then the final push is like, you know, pedal to the metal to get to the finish line. I'm getting, as I call it, I'm getting my recliner time in and my recliner. I'm kicking back a
2: lot. <laughs> and you said you went swimming today. Is that right? In the pool?
1: Uh, I went yesterday, yes. Yesterday. Yes, get me some pool time in. I love to swim. I love being in the pool. So, yeah, I'm just having some kickback relax time now.
0: Well, I think you deserve it. I was getting ready to say, there's no way you don't deserve it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my body totally agrees with that.
0: (laughs) Well, definitely being a 63-year-old Paralympian, that has got to be an inspiration. It's an inspiration to me. And so what words of advice would you have for somebody that thinks, "Uh, I don't know if I could do that?
1: I would say you're never too old to start. Um, I started fencing at 58. So if you, you know, if you're, 35 40 50 60 you think that has passed me it has not passed you it's waiting for you
2: so oh, figure good.
1: out your figure out what you're passionate about and go out and attack it and if you don't know what you're passionate about google it there's 50 million sports out there there's got to be something you want to do and something that's local that a program that would love to have you so get off the couch get out the door and start getting active There'll be times you'll think, okay, I can't go anymore. And one thing I uh, that's always in my head is you never stop. You can back up. You can rest. You can regroup, but never stop and give up. Just keep moving forward. And you might move at a turtle's pace, but you're still moving.
2: Exactly.
0: Yep. Wise advice from a Paralympian.
1: <laughs> you know, live your best life. Uh, if there's something you want to do, do it get your family and friends on board, get them active with you and just go out and um, live a happy, fun life and just suck everything out of life you can and just enjoy.
2: Absolutely. And when you live your life and you embrace those people that are in your life and appreciate them and see all of the good things that they bring to you with the gratitude, I think that you can accomplish anything and it's unfortunate. A lot of people don't live in that space, but you are a true example of if you can live in that space, that you can do anything.
1: Yes, that's the best way to be thankful for everything that you have. Gratitude means everything. You, you just have to be grateful for every little thing in you, that you have in your life. I mean, I'm grateful I have a wheelchair. You know, people are like, well, aren't you sad all the time? No, I'm not sad. I'm grateful I have a great functioning wheelchair that fits me perfect that can get me from A to B to C to D. People just need to get the priorities straight. Yeah, that's you know? right.
2: It's all in perspective. It really is. Yes. Uh, you can you yes, can find is. all of the silver lining if you want to look for it.
1: Yes, absolutely. And there's way more of that than any cloudy day will ever have for you. Absolutely. You just
2: have to look. Absolutely. Yes. Even on a cloudy day, the sun's still there. That's it
1: right. is. It is. Yeah.
2: Well,
0: Terry Hayes, Paralympian, thank you so much for taking the time and giving us some real inspirational words of advice.
1: You're more than welcome, and I hope people will get off the couch and get
0: at <laughs> Well, I know I will now.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for doing You're the show wonderful. with us today. I'm anxious to see uh, some of that garb, uh, if I could, when I'm there uh, in January.
1: Sure. I, if you want to, you can come down to the club and I'll send you
2: oh i would love that i i would absolutely love that was that one thing that i had wanted to do ever since i was little
1: you're not too old to start no
2: absolutely I'm kind of- no i'm not i absolutely if i got anything out of today's show that's absolutely it i would i would love to do that okay well thank you so much you're
1: uh, more than welcome
2: yeah this was fabulous
0: it was thank you it was very inspirational to me i really appreciate it
1: you're more than welcome
0: So we're about out of time for this show, and we have some great news. Starting January 1st, 2022, you can find our show at livingonpurposepodcast.com or any of the podcast platform like Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. Just search Living on Purpose Podcast and subscribe to the podcast or look us up on Facebook and give us a like and let us know what you want to add to this new show.
1: That's right.
0: So live every day of your life. On purpose. On purpose.